since the dawn of time, fairy tales have been part of human history, culture, and religion. Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, Cinderella, Bigfoot. Some fairy tales are harmless. Others are sinister. But in reality, there are four things all fairy tales have in common. Number one, they are used to influence, shape opinions, and manipulate thoughts. And number two, they're good for business. Yeah. Third, they tap into emotions such as fear, anger, and hope. Finally, fairy tales are not real. Welcome to Bigfoot Logic, a podcast where we highlight a new breed of fairy tales. Fairy tales you can find not in a Disney movie, but on CNN, Fox News, and other for-profit news publications. Fairy tales created by politicians, companies, and shared across social media platforms. Fairy tales that were created by big business for big business, for people in power that want to stay there. Join us, fellow logisticians, as we seek to expose fairy tales, myths, legends, and lies in the news of today. We'll talk about the facts and influences, people and power brokers, and connect some dots so you can see where, who's connected to who and what, and how the news of the day benefits and serves corporate greed, political will, and personal agendas. The facts you need to make informed, logical decisions so that you can make these decisions on your own. Not from us, on your own. Bigfoot logic is everywhere. Let us be your guides. Hey everyone, welcome to our second episode of Bigfoot Logic. Hope you enjoyed the first one. We looked at the issues surrounding the hype and and all the details with the Omicron um, variant. I think Abel is going to uh, talk a little bit about that when we get started. But but today we're talking about something different. Today we're talking about what we we like to call the Trump coverage conundrum. Because really, how often do you get to say the word conundrum? I mean, I would say it every day if I could find a reason. Like I love that word, conundrum. It's really a cool word. It is a cool word. Another C word. So, so did you want to touch first on some of the what we've seen since, um, since we recorded at least the, the the first episode of Bigfoot Logic in terms of of um, the news and what's happening? Yeah, sure. So we we recorded the first episode on on Omicron on December seventh. Uh, we're talking to you today. We're recording on December twenty third, a couple days before Christmas, and. Omicron has stayed in the news since then, and there's been a few interesting developments. Um, and we've also had a chance to do a little bit more research. I think um, we don't want to turn this into a you know COVID-obsessed show, but I think it's important to provide you a little bit of an update. So I will be publishing a blog with some more details. But um, J.D., you sent me an interesting article yesterday afternoon. What, what, what was that, that about, about the World Health Organization? The World Health Organization said that the U.S. has to stop giving blanket boosters because there's so much of the world that don't have shots at all, don't have vaccines at all. And it's just, a, it's, it's just you know, there's so many people out there, left, right, wherever you are, that talk about helping the world and being, you know, and social support systems and all that kind of stuff. And yet we're hogging the availability of this, of vaccines to give everyone a booster when there's a, and, you know, again, it goes to follow the money. Pfizer and Moderna and all the big um, pharmaceuticals are going to sell it to who can pay and who can pay top dollar. Right. Um, right. And that is likely not countries that don't have the GDP of the U S so they are reserving stockpiles of the booster, which, so everyone's clear. It's just another shot. It's not a booster exact same dosage as the first and second shot. Yeah. And if you don't believe us on that, go to the CDC website and, they have an FAQ section, and that's one of the questions on there is, what is the dosage of the booster? Uh, right, booster. so it's the exact same thing. So the, the challenge is, the, the, who is set, the World Health Organization is saying, don't get blanket boosters. There are too many countries and people that need actual boosters that aren't getting them because the available dosage are getting hogged. And I thought it was interesting before, it's the last sort of touch on this. I was watching a story today on MSNBC, and it was about positive news about Omicron and there was a big image behind the reporter and it said science will win and the Pfizer logo. So the entire time he was talking about a bunch of things, Omicron being one of them, there was a promo science will win Pfizer's logo. That's, that's some good advertising. It's some good free advertising, which, you know, actually is part of what we're going to talk about now with the Trump coverage conundrum. So, um, Abel, why don't you tell us some uh, some fast facts about coverage of Trump 
historically? Yeah, so I'll go through some some quick facts and then we can interrupt me at any time, and we can kind of go through more detail in terms of what we're thinking. But it's been documented that leading up to the 2016 election, um, Trump was the most covered candidate in the national news by far. Um, he exceeded the coverage of any um, Democratic candidate by, um, what, what were the numbers, Jaded? The, the numbers Let's see were... Here. And again, we'll pu- we'll publish this document that we're referring to in this conversation with with the article, so you can see what we're we're referencing. I, I found it. So, um, one study calculated that in 2015, Trump received 327 minutes of nightly broadcast network news coverage. Now, that's compared with Hillary Clinton getting about 121 minutes, um, and Bernie Sanders about 20 minutes. So even if you add up the two Democratic candidates, there's still less than half of the amount of coverage dedicated to them as is dedicated to Trump. Right. And and the reality is they were both talking probably about issues and Trump was just, you know, googly man, you know, saying whatever (laughs) came to mind. And, you know, and it's entertaining news, but just like Jersey Shore is entertaining news. The difference is Jersey Shore is a paid show Um, and the coverage of of presidential candidates and presidents and past presidents is supposed to be based on relevant information, not entertainment. Um, yeah. You know, I think one and, of the things, and speaking of free advertising, uh, one of the interesting um, data points around all that coverage that Trump received, um, according to some estimates that would have been worth about two to $3 billion worth of uh, advertising or media coverage. And that's one of the things that, PR professionals me- measure to show their value to uh, whatever organization they're working for. So there's, there's actually a you know a way to do that. So those numbers weren't pulled out of thin air. Those numbers are you know likely based on actual methodology used by PR professionals around the world. Yeah, but I, but I'm not, I'm gonna say I don't think this is a PR thing. I think this is a um. A, a, a media site thing. Like, I don't think anyone was pitching Trump. I mean, I'm sure he had people pitching Trump, but I think it oh, was I, because yeah, I, Trump was good for the media business. So Trump, um, and so the reason we, the, the reason that we're covering this as part of Bigfoot Logic um, is is because the logical reason to continue covering Trump doesn't exist. Um, yeah, does he have influence? Absolutely. Does he have more influence because he's covered in the news every day? doubly so, triply so, quadruply so. So the the reason the media are covering Trump is not because he's in a position of power, not because he's um, he's relevant today I and mean, he's a past president. The, right. right. He, it's because it is good for business. And I think the first stat is probably the most telling stat in terms of the revenues for the major networks and how it rose when he um, ran for president. So why don't we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, <clears throat> and, I, and I totally agree that it wasn't a PR thing. I, I was only making that point to say that... There's um, a way to quantify it. The, yeah, there's a way to quantify the value of something like that. Um, so yeah, during Trump's presidency, specifically 2017 to 2020, um, primetime TV viewers nearly doubled at both CNN and Fox. Um, and it... In a similar time frame, 2016, and I'm, the only reason I'm using different dates is because it, um, I'm using the data that's available. Um, and like Jaded said, we'll post all the references on our website. But the, during a similar time frame, 2016 to 2020, the revenues for CNN, Fox News um, rose significantly more than they have in any other time period. Um, so specifically, CNN's revenues grew by 26%. Fox grew by 21%. And MSNBC grew by 85% in a four-year time period. Right. So there was an economic benefit to the media outlet to covering Trump, especially in if you look at the, the three networks, MSNBC is typically more um, left than, than CNN or Fox. So that also dictates the type of coverage because it was meant to excite its base. Right and grow its base, so right. um, there was 
it wasn't fair and balanced. And I'm not talking about fair and balanced, what they wrote. Like he's, he got, you know, he said a lot of things that were crazy that, that are, you know, boggle my mind as a, as a PR professional, but the, the willingness and the interest and continued to, to talk about it, as opposed to go, he's crazy. We're not going to talk about him. And granted, he was the president. I get that. But it was absolutely a money grab for the, these networks. And, 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 you know, we said in the first one, follow the money and look for who benefits from, from anything that happens. Who benefits from continued coverage of Trump? The population doesn't. He, would, he didn't win, right? You can argue whether right. Biden won on his merits or Biden won because he wasn't Trump. Right. He's not president anymore. So, so how do they keep that revenue going, right? And that's the issue. During the first four years of the Obama administration, networks also grew, not all of them. Um, let's see, CNN shrank by 9%, Fox grew by 100%, and MSNBC grew by 59%. So again, during Obama, Fox grew probably because they, in a, in a you know revenue grab, did the same thing MSNBC did with Trump and did it to Obama, right? They excite the base. They exaggerate things. They use data and studies to um, make very specific points about the about the president's policies, whether it's Obama or Trump. But it, it's really not to inform you. It's to excite you and to get you coming back to read more so they can sell more ads. Right. And, and one of the things, you know, in, in the first episode, we talked about fairy tales and how that's kind of an underlying theme with, with Bigfoot logic. Um, and I think almost every fairy tale needs to have some sort of bad guy. Right. And even bring that into the modern era with yes. comic books, movies, you need Anything. to have a bad guy. So if you're a, a news network that slants more towards the left, um, your base is going to get more excited by reading the dumb things the guy on the right said. And the reverse is also true. Um, you know, if the media slants to the right, your base is going to want to read things that pick on your bad guy, whoever the left candidate or president is at, at that given time frame. And that that might explain why, um, you know, Fox grew significantly under Obama and CNN didn't, but under um, Trump, MSNBC grew more significantly than some of the other networks. Well, but I think even post-Trump presidency, and you look go beyond the big networks, you look at the, the state papers and the city papers, Trump is the bad guy to everybody. Right. Right. And, and all the stuff that's coming out after January 6th, and all the things he's done, Grant, he has done things that have been terrible and, and, and deserve to be reported on, but not everything he needs to be, he does needs to be reported on, at least not on front page or above what's called above the fold, but it is right. So post pump the Trump presidency, he's remained in the news by far more than anyone else. Now granted, he did not go quietly into the woodwork like, like other presidents have to allow the next person to have their space. Right. Um, and, and I'll just make this one point. I remember growing up, and there was a story, and I, I can't find the story, but you know, the, there weren't digital records back then. That it, it, when we were Reagan still using, like, scrolls, right? We were still using like we were chipping things into walls. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when Cleopatra was running, um, the it, it used to be said when you had the big three networks, right? Like it was a uh, couple and rather and um, uh, I can't remember the third was, but the only way you could tell whether one of those three candidates liked someone is rather sometimes would smile a very little bit if you liked the candidate. And I guess he liked Reagan. Um, but it was, it was just like they didn't give you a bias. Certainly not like the news does today, whether it's Anderson Cooper or Wolf Blitzer or Tucker Carlson, right? And certainly the people masquerading as news like Joy Bahar, who is a comedian, who is nothing but vitriol and spite. Who, who, who this week or a couple weeks ago was complaining how no one's fair to Biden. I didn't see that. I think it's interesting that political political fact checks are now starting to call out when Biden is not saying things that are true. Now, they're not calling him pants on fire like they did for Trump stuff because, granted, Trump's lies were not. over the top. But, the, <laughs> but no, they were fact, completely factually untrue. But they're... I think they're actually treating him fairly well, considering considering some things he's saying that just don't check out anywhere. Um, but you know, that's not the, again. We're not like I'm not 
advocating any politician. I just think it's interesting that to to incite things Trump does drives people to websites, drives ad revenue, right? So how many times? So here's this was I thought was really compelling too. Again, a stat that tells you to, to when you look at it in context to to wonder who benefits from this stat, right? So CNN has three times as many articles about Donald Trump compared to Barack Obama, 78,000 versus 23,000. And this isn't even for the same time frame, right? It's in total, like in total of, of eight years of Barack Obama's presidency, his time as a senator, his time when he first came under national prominence when he gave the opening address at the Democratic National Convention in 2000, I think, around then, mm-hmm. um, to today, to Donald Trump, and granted, it also includes Donald Trump's entertainment news, but he had eight years in office. Trump had four, three times as many articles. Trump is good for the media business. Right. Fact. Trump. And so one of the other things I looked at is, you know, well, so we're in December, so we're about a year from the election. So what is the coverage in that time frame for Obama versus Trump? You know, like, in my memory, at least, it seemed like Obama just kind of faded out of the presidency, right? Like he wasn't in, in the public eye, but I wanted to validate that with facts. So I looked at Fox News and from uh, the date I did the search on December, 5th, uh, December 15th, uh, between that date and January 20th, 21, uh, Trump had 88,100 articles referencing Trump. That's in just under a year when he's not even the president. Wait, so there's 88,000 articles since he left office from January, so just for the date for everyone, January 20th, 2021, 11 months ago, to today, 88,000 articles on Trump. That's good. That's good for Fox Business. Yeah. If you look at Obama for a similar time frame, January 20th, uh, 2017 to December 15th, 2017, there were 29,000 700 articles. So three times as many articles on Trump than Obama after the presidency. And that's from Fox, which likely benefits from covering uh, a Democratic president like we just talked about. Because well, and, and Obama has been more, more vocal, right? I mean, and there are things that Trump did that would make anyone come out of the president and say, presidency, you know, the, the retirement, if you will, and say, hold on a second. Um, so you know, certainly Obama and other prominent Democrats, Pelosi, Schumer, Warren, could could be the villain. And in a Fox in a Fox News sense, not saying they're villains at all. Right. Um, but still, they gave more coverage to Trump and just the silliest things. Like there was one story about a man commenting on another man's emotions in the news, right? The story how Trump believes Pence is mortally wounded inside. Like, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm which not even is, sure Pence is a factor. Right. It, like, why is that important? Like, it's not. Would, would that be in the news if it was anyone else other than Trump? And the fact that it was said at an event that was a closed press event. So press were not allowed at the event. So somehow someone, you know, leaked it to the press or a reporter snuck in. Just well, they know. They know that Trump is new. So they, yeah, they know. They, they pick up the phone. Hey, guess what he said? And, and the hard part about it is, is it's really, what, what's dis- disappointing to me is the, the willingness to fact check, right? Or right. take things out of context. Like everything's out of context. Like, you know, there are movies, like all, I think it's all the president's men where they, you know, a lot of that movie is making sure they have the facts right before they print. Right. Um, and uh, I can't remember the name of the movie that had William Hurt and um, a- another movie about the news. And they just were so focused on getting the facts right before they printed anything because they know how people react to news. And, and that doesn't exist today. And part of that's the 24-hour news cycle that they have to get news out there. Um, but there are very few anchors today that are in that Dan Rather, Tom Brokoff model that, that, aren't re- that are really newsmakers, are really newsmen. These women, they are opinionators, right? They're all pundits. And, and, and I, think that's, I think that's sad, right? Because, it, you know, again, we, when we first talked about in the first episode, it's to incite and to motivate by fear and 
instill hope or it, it's all emotional driven. Like they're trying to cut, they cut, the media cuts through your logic centers and we're big fit logic. So we want you to hang on to those logic centers and go right to your emotional and get you upset. Because when you're upset, you react, you read more, um, you get more addicted, if you will, to the news. Because those same endorphins kick in when you get excited. Right. And, and I, I remember from taking journalists courses in, in college, in those days, um, we, we weren't writing on scrolls with hieroglyphs, but newspapers were still the primary way that people got information. And one of the, one of the things they taught in journalism classes was the ethics of journalism and how there was a very clear delineation between news reporting, which is fact-based, as Jaded was saying, and the editorial section, which is where opinions were expressed. And when you got the newspaper, you knew that when you were reading the editorial, that was just the opinion of the editor of that newspaper. And yeah, that may be an educated and informed decision, and it may have a lot of weight for you, but it was still an opinion versus a news article, which was intentionally fact-based, not commenting on emotions, you know, there are no facts around emotions. Like that wouldn't have been considered newsworthy probably 20 years ago. Well, I think what's interesting too, is if you look at the reason that we think Trump has had such a resurgence and why they're clinging to Trump as a, as a news source is because, and this is according to Nielsen data from October, 2020 to October, 2021. Um, let's see. News networks have been seeing a steady decline in viewers. So viewership is down. CNN is down 73% to 661,000 viewers. Over the same time period, MSNBC was down 56% to 1.2 million, and Fox was down 53% to 2.3 million viewers. Right? They're declining. So as Trump is out of office and not really in the news as president, I, I would be curious to see if they'd actually taken stop covering Trump and the, the silly things he does from Mar-a-Lago, um, how much they would have fallen further. Like, I think Trump's coverage was a way to attempt to prop up viewership to get people coming back. Right. And, and th those numbers aren't rounding errors. Like, think about just in your personal life, like, w what would happen if you lost 73% of your salary? That's yeah. a lot. Or even if you lost 53% of your salary, you're making life changes at that point. And you know, if you're a newsroom editor, if you're an executive at CNN or Fox News, those numbers are scary and you have to do something about it or your job's on the line. Right. So, and, and, and people, um, and Trump knew that, right? Like Trump knew that he could say controversial things and it would drive attention. And unfortunately it drove attention with a lot of people that, that were focused on issues that aren't good for people, for the country, period. Um, you know what I was I, I was particularly pleased to see. There's the editor in chief of the Cleveland Plain Dealer, who, which is a very well respected publication, and he took a stand. Um, you know, you, you could say that you'd wish others did it, um, but editor in chief Chris Quinn said in on March 13th in a letter from the editor titled "Why When Candidates Make Reckless Statements Just to Get Attention, Should They Get Attention." And we'll, we'll post this letter with the episode, but he states in the letter, we are proud of our role as a center of discourse with the diversity of the viewpoints you can find nowhere else in the state, but we do not knowingly publish ridiculous and idiotic claims, right? And we agree with that statement. The, you know, why, why do you continue to publish things that really don't make sense? They're not logical. They're not helpful. They're not informative. They're just meant to incite and draw eyeballs. Draw eyeballs, draw viewers, draw advertising, which drives revenue. Right. right. That's, that's the reason they do it. Um, but it, it's interesting, and I, I don't know if you want me to talk about this, but I like when I saw that quote from um, this Chris Quinn guy at the Cleveland Plain Dealer, I was like, yeah, that's great. Go, go, man. That's awesome. And then I started looking more into the site. And I don't know if they're practicing what, what they're preaching over there at, in Cleveland. Um, I think they might be, you know, practicing some big foot logic themselves. And, and there was an example I found about, about J.D. Vance. Do you want me to talk about that? Or? Sure, go ahead. J so J.D. Vance is, who's J.D. Vance? J.D. Vance was a lawyer, entrepreneur, made a lot of money in Silicon Valley. Then he published an autobiography called The Hillbilly Elegy. 
um, which I think is also a movie on Netflix now, which um, full disclosure, I haven't read Hillbilly Elegy, um, although my friends think I'm a hillbilly myself, so I probably should. I, it might be something I, I could relate to. But when I started to read the coverage of J.D. Vance in The Cleveland Plain Dealer, um, one of the articles that I found was about how he had changed, changed his tone since he, had, since he was an author. Uh, because one of the themes of his book, as best I can tell from reading interviews on Amazon, is basically he he you know he wants to stand up for poor working class people in Appalachia. Like he grew up in Kentucky, I think, so that's where where the book is based. And he believes that those people are um, you know underprivileged. And in the book, even he talks about how it's it's difficult for them to bring up their issues, such as losing their jobs to factories overseas. Or um, this isn't relevant in Kentucky, but I could see it being an issue in Texas or somewhere like that. You know, having valid concerns about security at the border, um, and and he wants to stand up for those people so that they can present those views as without being seen as xenophobic or racist. Which you know, I, like I said, I don't I don't know a lot about the guy or his politics, but I can see where he's coming from from that that point of view. But the gist of this article was that he's now changed his tone and he's using uh, terms like dirty to describe Im- immigrants. Um, and the article had several links to sources. None of those sources included anything that showed me that he actually said anything to indicate that immigrants were dirty. Um, the closest that anything came to him mentioning even the word dirty was an interview he did with Tucker Carlson, which pained me to watch, but I, I forced my way through it. And at one point, uh, Tucker asked him like why he was running for, for Senate. Like basically, you know, you've got a lot of money, published a successful book. Um, like, why are you going through the trouble of, you know, introduce opening, opening up yourself to all this criticism that you'll get as being a Senator. Um, and his answer was something like, you know, I've got two boys and I'm concerned that if, you know, the country goes in the direction it's going now, they're going to grow up in a country that's poorer, dirtier, has less opportunity than the country that I grew up in. You know, whether you agree with that statement or not, there was no mention of immigrants at all any within like two minutes of that, <laughs> that statement. So they're taking that statement about him saying he doesn't want the country, his boys to grow up in a country that's dirtier, poorer than the one he grew up in, and somehow connecting it to immigration with, with no um, with no direct connection that I could find in their own sources. So how did that relate to Trump, though? It doesn't directly relate to Trump, but it, it gets to the point of opinion in news. That Oh, gotcha. Okay. I see. So he's... That, so, and, and to be fair, I think he is from Kentucky. Um, I think the... the the gist of the book is his mother was a, a drug addict and it was raised by his grandmother. And there's a lot of challenges he had with that dynamic and that relationship. Um, I haven't not read the book either. I have not seen the movie. Um, but the, and the dirtier from his perspective in Kentucky and the coal mines could be referring to coal. I don't know, but it, I didn't watch the, the Tucker Carlson interview, but it certainly wasn't tied to Democrats. So while this isn't related to the Trump coverage conundrum, it is an example of, a news outlet taking something that out of context to drive a headline about someone who's in the news. Right. And so a lot of what's, and we're not even saying that things Trump say are out of context. We're saying, because I think a lot of, a lot of times they are in context, but your point that event that things he's saying at private events where media isn't even there is now getting disclosed without, without context. Is that fair? Right. And, and we're, you know, we were talking about the distinction between news reporting and in, editorial and injecting your own opinion in it. And, you know, despite my support of Chris Quinn's theory that the Cleveland plane dealer would, you know, not report on things that were, um, uh, you know, crazy or ridiculous. Um, it's a slippery slope when you start allowing reporters to inject opinions into how they cover things, which is, I think what was happening with this coverage of JD Vance. Well, so his 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 editorial was all about Trump. But to your point, if you're going to make that point about Trump and try to make, you know, put yourself on a pedestal for a stand, then you have to have that 
ideology you've played through your entire organization. Now, I will say one of the things that's different that a lot of people don't know is the reporter who writes a story isn't always the person who writes the headline. There's a copy editor that writes the headline or the managing editor writes the headline. And so it, it's not necessarily the fault of the reporter who writes the story what the headline is because they often aren't involved. Now, now on online news, I don't know if that's true. I do know that's true in, in, um, in print journalism. So one of the things that one of the places we found a lot of information in for this story, for this episode, is the Shorenstein Center. Like those early stats we shared at Fronter from there. Um, one of the things, so the Shorenstein Center is at Harvard University. And Joan Donovan, who's the research director there, has advocated a strategy she calls dealing with any of these type of, these sort of, this is really more specific to Trump, um, but any of these sort of fringe narratives that, that, that seem to dominate the news when they're only controversial. They're not held by a lot of people. They're held by people. I'm not even say they're people in, in any party. They're certainly people like to paint them into parties, but they're just fringe people regardless. Right. Um, that she says the, the as advocate a strategy called strategic silence, urging nor- news organizations not to give platforms to certain ideas while this might be sensible with fringe and like a fringe white supremacist group, she said in an interview, a different stance is necessary with prominent politicians. She, she suggested unearthing the motives behind politicians' false narratives, right? That's really similar to what we've said about looking to see who benefits from a narrative coming out in the news, right? So Trump benefits because his name stays in the news. Right. But the media outlets benefit because they're driving revenue from the readers who are reading stories about Trump. Right. So the, there's no logical reason to cover Trump for all the silly things he says, except for the fact that it draws eyeballs to the website. And news outlets are commercial, commercial enterprises. They're there to make money. Right. right? It's a 24-hour news cycle. Yeah. And it sounds like what she's saying is, you know, look, you know, Jada just explained why the news coverage why the news organizations cover this sort of thing. Um, you know why someone like Trump says things, you know, to get attention, to get back in the office. But some of the other, you know, more outlandish claims or anytime you hear a claim really from a politician in a news organization, what is the motivation beyond that? Like beyond the politician making that statement, there's a reason they're saying that. Is it to get votes? Is it to garner influence? What is the reason that they made this statement in the first place? Right. But, but the, the real focus of this episode is why the media continue to give airtime to these type of fringe ideas and why they continue to give so much airtime to Trump. And that's because Trump is good for business. Right. Trump is not good for news. Trump is good for business. So there's um, a, a professor, a Knight professor of journalism ethics at Washington Lee University, Ali Kolan, I think is how you say it. Um, and he said something about the 24 new, hour news cycle. That, that we exist in today, right? That really started back with Turner Broadcasting with Ted Turner in the 80s, I believe, maybe 90s. Um, we realize there's a lot of news out there and a 24-hour news cycle. Journalists have to file stories quickly. A good sense and logical approach to consuming news. So this is going to the, to the person who's reading it. The consuming news was provided by Ali Kolan from Washington University. He said, the amount and variety of news produced today often tests people's ability to determine if it's its value and veracity. Such a torrent of information, such a torrent of information threatens to drown news consumers in a river of confusion. Right? Right. And and just to be clear, he's a night professor, not like he teaches at night, like he's a night with a K, which I never heard of. Like does he does he, do you think he wears armor and jousts? I like, don't. I think it's a. You know I think it's that's a designation of that. It's it has to do with his credentials as a reporter. Like I think he's a big, he's a big deal. He's a big. Um, yeah. He's a big deal that you should listen to as an opinion on on news. So he said media coverage of the coronavirus, for example, illustrates how news may overwhelm and confuse consumers, and even contribute to mental health woes by escalating anxiety, right? The same thing applies to Trump. He gets people anxious. He gets them nervous. People are afraid he's going to come back to power. People are afraid he's going to have candidates in power. People are afraid of his influence. The, the 
and that the coronavirus, which you talked about in the first episode, is the exact same thing. It is when, when, I mean, I don't know how many stories have run about Omicron since it was first announced on November 26th, but I'm guessing tens and tens of thousands of stories across all different news outlets. But if the one thing you heard when they actually quoted a scientist or a medical professional was, we don't know yet. We don't know yet. We saw, but we saw stories and claims from Pfizer and Moderna and the test manufacturer and other people involved in that, in the, the commercial aspect of, of treating Omicron and our Corona, the coronavirus. Um, and I go back to Satan, we made the first one, first episode, the AMA says there is no commercially available test today that will test for a variant of, of coronavirus. There's no test that will check for a variant. There was news out today that said 73% of the cases are Omicron. They do not know that. They are not doing pathology tests on every single person that gets tested. They're doing a swab and it's telling them, yes, they're coronavirus. They're making assumptions based on calculations, based on what they, the spread rate they think of, of Omicron versus Delta versus Mu versus any other variant. But they're saying it's 73%, 73%. They don't, that's not big, that's not science. That's Bigfoot science. And it's meant right. to scare you. And it is scaring people. Like I, yeah. I, I'm sure you've had similar experiences, Jada, but like people in my everyday life, like one of my relatives is texting me today that he has a sore throat. Um, he's concerned, you know, he's going to miss Christmas with his family and he doesn't know, uh, you know, does he have Omicron? Does he just have a cold? You know, someone in his household just had the cold a couple of weeks ago. Um, they tested negative. For the media outlet, it's driving revenue because he's going to read, every, he's probably gone and read 10 more stories to see what the, the symptoms are for for Omicron versus something else. If you go back to that, right? Again, yeah, exactly. And f- follow that through to the next step, then he's probably going to get a test and he's probably going to get a booster and, you know, create more revenue for the pharma company. Yeah. So the, so again, by from Cologne, the overabundance of news also undermines Americans' ability to decipher fact from fiction, or sorry, fact from misinformation, right? There's so much news and so many different sources and so many opinions opposed to facts that people can't tell what's true or not. And you amplify that when it gets shared across social media, right? So there's a, so the same professor, the Knight professor, um, and I'm going to see what actually that designation means. He said in 2017, he wrote, there's a story in the conversation, how to consume news. He wrote this. It's a, he wrote this contribute article and we'll provide a link to it. It's a fantastic resource, how to consume news while maintaining your sanity. So in 2017, he wrote an excellent piece on the rise of fake news. And this is what he said. He says, you are the gatekeeper of the news. Basically you own your responsibility for understanding how you view the news. In today's technological world, we're in the midst of an information, informational perfect storm. The equation he might offer would be velocity plus volume equals volatility, right? How quickly the news spreads, how quickly it's pervasive and everywhere, how loud it is. And by loud, I'm taking that to mean how sensationalized. Right. Look at the headline. Is the headline meant to inflame? Is it meant to cut through your logic center and get to your um, emotional center? Right. And that that those com- those combined get you to volatility. Volatility is a state is a state when you are no longer stable. Right. All the news on the internet moves so fast and results with so much noise that the outcome becomes unpredictably dangerous. That's again. That's. That's the quote from an article that Cologne wrote in the conversation. So it's, we'll have a link to that. And it's, it's certainly worth reading because if, if you can process that and understand that and then read the news. Now, if you're, if you're you know, hardcore one way or the other, then you're going to believe what you believe. You're going to believe what you believe anyway. But if you're really trying to understand something, then you have to force yourself to take that emotional step back and say, okay, what's, what can I take from this? And then maybe check another news source and see what they're saying and not, not react until I've actually done more research myself to understand what's going on. Right. Yeah. And this, I think this applies to everyone. You know, think of how many times you've been on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and you've seen, you know, your uncle or your cousin post something that you're like, that is ridiculous. Or, you know, maybe you've shared something yourself without even doing the research. Um, those sorts of things happen all the time. And I think the, the point is we all have a shared responsibility 
in stopping the spread of misinformation. Um, it's as simple as, you know, before you share an, a news article, before you share a meme, before you share, you know, someone else's comment that offers an opinion, do a quick Google search. Like, see if you can verify it. See if you can find another source that says the same thing. Um, it doesn't take a lot of time, but it helps stop the spread of misinformation. And it also helps if you stop reading the Trump articles. If <laughs> right, CNN exactly. or Fox or NBC sees that there are less click-throughs on articles of Trump, they will publish less issues. Go read the story about an actual candidate. Read the stories about Biden. Read the stories about um, your local politicians. Read the feel-good stories about you know the man that helps his neighbor in a crisis. Like even read about Kim Kardashian. Jeez. Right. Read about Kim, Kanye West, Kim Kardashian, Pete Davidson. Read about those people. Don't read about Trump. If people stop reading the news about Trump, they will see those numbers and they will not write as many stories. You would hope. So before we wrap up, I want to bring up one last article that you found. Um, and then I know you want to end on a, a, a fact that that shows this is this truly is an American-focused issue in terms of media profits driving coverage. So um, it's a good article. It's a commentary in GBH News. It's a Boston station. Um, it's a commentary. So it's opinion. It's written by a very knowledgeable person named Dan Candy. Dan Candy is a professor of journalism at Northeast University. And he wrote a story said, um, for five years, Trump outrage has fueled media profits. So now what? And the thing that I thought was so compelling is it was um, the question is whether Trump era boost can outlast Trump. Right. So in an interview for, in, with a public radio program on the media over the weekend, co-host Brooke Gladstone asked McKay Coppins of The Atlantic, a news organization that has done especially well during the Trump years, if Trump was good for journalism, business or bad, not journalism, business, journalism, business. And her answer was, well, from a bottom line perspective, almost certainly good. You know, the numbers tell a story. Consider the Times and the Washington Post, two national newspapers came most closely associated with covering the chaos and corruption of the Trump presidency. Between early 2017 and November 20th, November 2020, the Times digital circulation grew from about 2 million to more than 7 million. 4.7 million are paying for the core news product. The rest signed up for cheaper extras, such as the crossword puzzle and the cooking app, right? Growth has been equally impressive for the Washington Post. From perhaps 100,000 to 200,000 subscribers early 2016 to an estimate by the newspaper by the newspaper industry analyst Ken Doctor to 1 million at the end of 2017 to 3 million in November 2020. And that's according to Axios, right? So... 100 to 200,000 early 216 during the campaign to a million at the end of 2017 to 3 million in November 2020. That's the impact on profits Trump's coverage brought to the Washington Post. If you go for cable news in the Trump years, and this is according to Heidi Legg, a journalist and a research fellow at Harvard's Institute of Quantitative Social Science, that primetime news audience CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News rose from about 3.1 million in 2015 to nearly 7.2 million in 2020, with Trump-friendly Fox far ahead of the pack for most of that period. Right? It's um, so with with Trump giving away the presidency to Biden, a far more a far more low-key and disciplined politician. Many journalists are breathing a massive sigh of relief as they contemplate returning to something like normal life. But will audience and revenue resume the downward track that they had been on for years before Trump, right? So remember before Trump, media sources were losing revenue. Local newspapers were shutting down. Trump gave them all new life. They were not going to, to, to release that lease on life easily, right? CNN's right. media reporter, Brian Setzer, wrote on his Reliable Sources newsletter, only a portion of Fox audience has gravitated to even Trumpier outlets Newsmax our own OANN, not Oprah Winfrey Network. More have given right. up on cable news well, altogether, most have likely shifting to entertainment programming. So instead of watching the entertainment debacle that was the Trump presidency, they're returning to watch something like the Jersey Shore. I don't even know if that show still right. exists. Actual entertainment. Right. Well, so there was there was an interesting paragraph in that article that uh, you, you skipped over. 
that was about NPR that that struck a chord with me and caused me to do a little bit further research. So the, the paragraph reads, in a similar vein, it's instructive to look at what happened last February after NPR journalist Mary Louise Kelly conducted a contentious interview with Trump's Secretary of State, Michael Pompeo, who falsely claimed that Kelly had broken ground rules and angrily brought the proceedings to an abrupt end. Uh, the Post's Eric Wemple reported that donations to NPR and member stations soared immediately afterward, though no numbers were available. So that got me thinking, like the whole theme of this episode and Bigfoot logic in general, one of the underlying themes is profits and specifically profits of, of news organizations. So I started thinking about like, well, if this is profit driven, how do we break the cycle? Have, have, have other countries done this before? Um, so I, I did a little more research and was curious to see, you know, like where I grew up, I, I don't know if you know this jaded, but grew up in a log cabin. We didn't have cable TV. We got three stations and one of them was PBS. Um, so I watched a lot of PBS as a kid and I found it useful. Um, yeah, I love, I love, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sesame street. Who doesn't like Sesame street? Um, Nova, you know, those are good. Those are good quality shows. I don't think I actually ever watched the news on PBS, but I wanted to see what what other countries do if they have the same sort of profit driven news cycle. So I found um, a study by Neiman Lab where they compared the U.S. spending on public funded media. So public funded media is basically um, public funding for media organizations um, with the goal of creating unbiased news coverage. So typically the, the funding isn't provided, no strings attached. It's provided, you know, you have to follow these ground rules. Um, you know, journalistic ethics, giving fair coverage to one side versus the other. And what I found was super interesting. Do you know how much the average democracy uh, spends on public funded media per capita? I do not. So according to this study, they looked at the 14 top democracies in, in the world. So Great Britain, Canada, Norway, a um, whole bunch of countries. The average across all of those was per capita, those democracies. And this is including the U.S., which you'll hear brings the, note, the average down significantly. Including the U.S., those 14 democracies spend... $69.51 per capita on public media spending. Any guesses on how much the U.S. spends per capita? How much? Less than four bucks. Three seventy-five. Yeah. You, you can't even get a coffee at Starbucks for that much. Well, that's a Starbucks problem, but yes. A problem, yes. 100%. So basically, for every of the money that you pay for taxes, about $3 of that is... $3.75 is going to uh, fund things like PBS and NPR and essentially sources of information that are intentionally non-biased. The, the country that provides the next lowest funding per capita is Canada. Any idea how much Canada spends? How much? $30 per capita. So even the, we're, we're one, almost one-tenth of what the next lowest country spends it's like off the charts. So to Jade's point about perhaps this profit-driven news cycle is a U.S. problem, I think those numbers go a long way to explaining it. At 100%. And, and actually, um, the Atlantic reporter that, was on, that I mentioned, that's all from the same story, right? His last point was the Trump era may have been good for business of journalism, at least on the national level, um, but it may not have been so good for the practice of journalism. In his interview with um, with Brooke Gladstone, McKay Coppins, this is the Atlantic reporter, spoke ruefully about ruefully ruefully about how easy it is for reporters like him to gain a national following simply by trashing Trump. He says, "How do we move forward? We don't have a president who's shattering norms and breaking precedent and doing outlandish things every day. It's really important we do not have our business models depend on that being the case, because if they are." All of us are going to be pushed into to insert artificial drama into every story we do, and that's not good for anyone. 
I would argue that's exactly what's happening. It's happening with every story. There are, to, the, to the point you made, there are hundreds of good stories that could be covered, right? From social justice, from um, uh, police brutality, from um, sports, from uh, across the board. Corruption and corruption, right? Big business. Corruption and big business, right? There are thousands of stories that are not getting told because the media is telling story, silly stories about Trump and his cronies because it's good for business, not because it's news you need to know. And, that, and that's, really, that's really why the Bigfoot logic doesn't apply. It's, they're not covering Trump because Trump is newsworthy. They're covering Trump because it's good for their business. Right. And to be frank, their business is entertainment. Not yeah, it's the, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think with that, we can wrap up this episode of um, Bigfoot Logic. This was our focus on what we call the Trump coverage conundrum. Um, I think, you know, if you look at the facts, if you look at the information, we'll post links to the stories we referenced here, that you will see that, that there is no actual logical reason to give Trump the air cover he gets today when there are so many other stories that should be told that that journalists have should have feel an obligation to tell, but they don't because either their publishers or editors want to see more Trump stories because that's good for business as opposed to stories about the news you probably ought to need to know. Any final thoughts? Well, the only reason there would be any logic behind publishing it is it's Bigfoot logic. You have to publish that sort of thing if you want to stay in business. Yeah, it's. That's I mean, it, it is Bigfoot logic. It is we are going to do it because it's good for business. We're going to, we're not going to do it because it's news you need to know. Right. Great. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, I hope you turn in next time. Please leave us comments on your favorite platform. Um, you can visit our website, which is bigfootlogic.com and leave us comments there. If there's topics you'd like us to consider, remember, we're not here to spout the public uh, uh, political view. We're here to help you understand why the news is the way it is and why things are shaping the way they are shaped and who is potentially behind that shaping. For Abel and, and Jaded, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Bigfoot Logic. We hope that we help inform you and provide you with some of the tools you need to make your own informed decisions and see what is really influencing the news. We hope you now have some tools and some information to make your own informed decisions. Again, we're not trying to tell you what to think. We're trying to show that there might be someone out there trying to influence your perceptions and how you're internalizing the news you see today. Let us know what you think of this podcast, this episode, and if there's topics you'd like us to investigate and discuss, please let us know. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, leave a review. Those are always helpful. And we'll talk to you next time on Big Fit Logic.